Pastor Xavier Ruiz, perusing simple truths able to teach us and reach us in ways that few things can. First you have Psalms of Wisdom. There are also Royal or Messianic Psalms. There are Penitential Psalms, time when you confront your sin. There are Psalms of Adoration, Worship and Praise, Thanksgiving. There are Liturgical Psalms, Imprecatory Psalms. As we look, we see the wisdom of God in so many different ways. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The book of Psalms is known as the largest and perhaps most widely used book in the Bible. It explores the full range of human experience in a very personal and practical way. And so today, Pastor Xavier begins a verse-by-verse study series of the Psalms that will touch on all 150 chapters before we're through. He begins with an introduction that'll provide helpful insight into the major themes of these honored simple truths of Scripture. Let's listen. The Psalms are part of the poetical books, which falls into the third division of the Old Testament. You have the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. Then you have the historical books, which move on all the way up to Job. And then you have the beginning of the poetical books, and they are five in number. You have uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you have the major and the minor prophets. The major prophets being those of the longer books. The minor prophets being those who are the shorter books. They are not in any way called major or minor because of greater importance or lack of importance, but because of the size of the books. That's our division. But in the Hebrew canon, there's only three divisions. The law, the writing, and the prophets. And they have a whole different division. But for our Bible, that's where they fall. Interesting that the word Psalms is the title. In the Hebrew canon, it's called the writing. It falls into the category of the writings. And the Hebrew really just means praise. It's just as you go through the Psalms, and I don't know how long you've been in the Lord, but if you read the Psalms, they just seem to kind of just be able to lift your heart and your eyes to the Lord. The psalmist may begin just really in despair and really trodden down and all of a sudden he'll just just turn to the Lord and and he'll just end up just so encouraged and the Lord is there and he remembers the promises. And they're a source of encouragement. Luther, Martin Luther called it the Bible in miniature. And as we look to the psalms, we realize that in a way it's the very heart of the Bible and the heart of the Old Testament. The people of God, Israel, constantly drew from them, as we're going to see. But equally, the New Testament church used the Psalms. Remember that the New Testament church did not have New Testament Bibles. They used the Old Testament Scriptures. It wasn't until later on in the first century when they started getting compiled. John Calvin describes Psalms as uh, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. I mean, you can look to the Psalms and you can pick up, I mean, themes and experiences. And uh, you say, well, you don't understand what I'm going through. If you go through Psalms, you're going to find yourself there at one point or one time or another. And that's what's so exciting about the Scriptures, that we can relate to the Scriptures. They speak to our heart. They speak to the time where we live in. Regardless of the age we live in, we can identify. They're relevant. They're alive. 
Another individual called Johannes Arndt wrote this, What the heart is in man, that the Psalter is in the Bible. The heartbeat. It's the reality. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to put on an air and not really be um, sincere, transparent. That doesn't mean that we pour our guts out to everybody, but we can put on a big old act. Uh, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and the scribes and says, you guys are actors. Uh, you guys are saying that you're something that you really aren't. And uh, when you look to the Psalms, um, the Lord allows his men to be painted with warts and all. You read David when he's down, he's, uh, his bones are dry, he's in sin, he, he just can't get rest and he has to get right with God. You read other times when they're just in discouragement and in fear of death and they turn to God. And I don't know about you, but I can identify with things like that. Times of despair when, you know, you're not even on your knees, but you're down on all fours on your face and you're saying, Lord, what is going on? Where are we going? What are you doing? And so it's uh, encouraging, even as Peter says, that when we fall into different fiery trials, we shouldn't think it's strange. But it is common for us because we belong to God. You might say that the Psalms are the record and cry of the Psalm book of God's people, an expression of their spiritual life throughout the centuries. Just a sheer expression. You know, when you get along with your wife or with someone who you trust and you pour your heart out. There's no act. There's no nothing. You just say, you know, man, I, I'm hurting. You know, and this is going on. And I, I mean, it's driving me crazy. Can you pray for me? You know, it's just a pouring out of the heart and genuineness and, and in a cry of, of, of really for help. And that's how God wants us to come to Him. Romans 7, that we might cry out and say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death. Jesus Christ, that's who. Now the book of Psalms, let me give you some background on it. The Hebrew name, as I said, is, means praise. And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew canon, which took place after the captivity, because remember that the Jews went into captivity into Babylon, and they lost their language there, really. And when they came out, they spoke Greek. And they lost their Hebrew language. And um, Babylon was uh, superseded by Medo-Persia. They remained there. And then Alexander the Great came by and, and they lost their language. And so the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew canons. And, and the title there is the Psalter. We get our English word Psalms, like we have here in the book of Psalms, from the Greek meaning songs sung to the accompaniment of string instruments. And so at times you will read a psalm and it will have an inscription on top in a funny word and it will mean to a string instrument or to a harp or to a, a lyre. Not a lyre like you and I, but a lyre like a guitar. Um, and so it is the songbook of Israel and also of the New Testament church. Uh, the psalms are divided into five sections corresponding to the first five books of the Bible, which are called the Pentateuch. So when you hear the big word Pentateuch, it only means the first five books. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the Psalms are divided corresponding in five divisions, and they correspond with those first five books. 
from the time of Ezra down through the appearance of the first synagogues, there appeared the Jewish commentators and interpretation of the scriptures, which was called Midrash. They, in the very first verse of Psalm 1 here, they have that inscription that the book of Psalms is divided into those five divisions which correspond to the five books of Moses. The first division that you find in the book of Psalms begins in Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. Maybe some of your newer Bibles have that even on the side. I know the old King James didn't, but I think the new King James does, and some of the other translations do. It corresponds to Genesis, dealing with man, basically. There are a lot more things, but we'll just uh, be satisfied to say that it refers to and corresponds to Genesis, and it deals with man. The second division is Psalm 42 to Psalm 72. And it corresponds to the book of Exodus. And it deals with deliverance, even as the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt. And God fought for them and brought Moses to them and took them across the Red Sea and brought them into the Promised Land. So, Psalms from Psalm 42 to 72 correspond to the second book. The third division is Psalm 73 to Psalm 89, which corresponds with the third book, the book of Leviticus. And if you've read, ever read Leviticus, you know that it deals with sanctuary, with the holy things of God. Now often people read the book of Leviticus or attempt to, and they say, oh, I don't want to read that. But it is so rich. There are so many lessons in the book of Leviticus First of all, if there's one word you can put to the book of Leviticus, it must be holiness unto the Lord. I mean, here, there he gives a prescription of all manner of conduct in terms of worship and ritual, the tabernacle, sacrifice, and it all spells out one thing. God demands holiness. And he, given, he has given means by which to do it. In the Old Testament, the animal sacrifice. The New Testament, his son Jesus Christ. Now the fourth division is Psalms 90 to Psalm 106. And it corresponds to the fourth book, which is the book of Numbers. And it deals with unrest and wondering. You know the book of Numbers, they took a number of the people of Israel, the census at the beginning, and they went through the longest death march of 38 years, rounded off 40. And rebelling against God not wanting to obey and believe God, and being afraid to enter into the promised land which He swore that He would give to them. And therefore they rebelled and God said that they would die in the wilderness. They used the excuse that their children would die out there. But it was their children who inherited the land and not themselves because they did not walk by faith, but they wanted to walk by sight. And that's always a characteristic of carnality and lack of faith. When we want to walk by sight and not by faith. When we want God to lay everything out so that we can understand it in order to obey it. And the only problem with that is that God sets the rules. And He doesn't bargain with them. And consequently there is a correlation to that wilderness journey in the book of Hebrews. And he says that we should not fail to enter into the rest of God. 
that we should not be as those of old who wandered in the wilderness and died there. And yet, as we read that section of Psalm 90 to Psalm 106, we're going to see that very clearly. We need to walk by faith. We need to trust God. We need to make advance and progress. We need to press towards the mark. We need to leave the old things behind. We need to get our eyes on the Lord. And we need to say, we start today. You see, it's not only the Mexicans that say mañana. Christians say tomorrow. And it's always tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. And God would have you to turn and to get out of the wilderness and to enter into the full rest. The fifth division we find from Psalm 107 to Psalm 150. It corresponds to the book of Deuteronomy. It is the fifth book. And it deals with divine faithfulness and the word of God. It's usually described as the second giving of the law. But at times that is misunderstood and believed to be a second law different from the first. It is not. The book of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the same law that was given the first time. Why was it given a second time? Because those who received the law the first time died in the wilderness. And those who were born of them and through them came of age during the wilderness. And now we're going to enter the promised land. And God wanted them to know what He had promised, what He had warned, the dangers. And He warned them clearly of the blessings and the cursings. Deuteronomy 27, 28, 29, read them. Now the many of the positive confession people today go there and claim their promises. I wouldn't want to claim any of those promises, especially the cursings. He is speaking directly to Israel. Is there any way that we can make application to us? Yes, as we can confirm those in the New Testament, definitely. But God there says, if you don't obey me, I will plague you with boils, with fevers. I'll kill you by the sword. I will persecute you. That's heavy. Who were they? His people. Why did he say that? He said, if you disobey. If you don't trust me. And so the principle of that fifth division is God's faithfulness. He's faithful. And His faithfulness is based on His Word. If we don't know the Word of God, how in the world are we going to know what God has promised to us and what He desires to do in our life? Now, don't think because you sit under a teacher that you know the Word of God. I thought that to be true at one time. Now I don't. I know people who sit under the good teachers and they don't know the Word of God. They know a lot of Bible knowledge, but they don't know the Word of God. There's a big difference. Knowing the Word of God means that I can go to the Word of God and find answers for life. Knowing the Word of God means that I can defend my faith from the Word of God when somebody attacks my faith or is in doubt of my faith or presents some kind of false doctrine. Knowing the Word of God means that I can go through Scripture and I can detect what is for me and what is not for me. What is accurately recorded as Recorded truth, but not biblical fact. From recorded truth, that is biblical fact. Example, Satan said, I will exalt myself above the heavens. Accurate, inspired, recorded truth of what was said, but not a biblical truth. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. 
Inspired, accurately recorded, biblical truth. There's a difference. And so often we are dependent upon man and upon organizations that we are really like the rats following the Pied Piper. And we don't think, we don't study, we don't pray. And no wonder that so many Christians are deceived and led astray today. You see, if you let someone else do all your thinking, you'll get to a place where you won't know how to think. You're so dependent on them. I pray that you are a thinker with the Word of God during your own study, during prayer, during fellowship, as you're involved in ministry. And then you'll know the Word of God. And you won't be following a man or a movement or anything else. But you will be a Christian following Jesus. Those are the five divisions. Interesting that doxologies are seen in the last psalm of each division, which confirms the division that was made purposely. Psalm 41, Psalm 72, Psalm 89, Psalm 106, and Psalm 150. You'll find those doxologies in them. Let me give you a little background about the authorship of the book of Psalms. The authors are many, from Moses to Hezekiah, some even profess up to Ezra. We could say that the book of Psalms covers a time span of almost a thousand years. And so very clearly, we cannot believe that there's one author. There may have been one or two compilers, but the authors are many. There are definite periods of concentration, such as David's time, which we know because the majority of the Psalms are attributed to David. David during the year 1020 to 970, something like that. Then there's the concentrated period of Solomon. Solomon was a very wise man. He was a songwriter. He was a botanist. He, uh, you name it. Look up there in Ecclesiastes also and in Kings, some of the things he did. I mean, the man was amazing. The sons of Asaph, sons of Korah, King Hezekiah, uh, all the way down to 700 B.C. So it has a long uh, time span which um, the Psalms cover. But as I said, the majority of the Psalms are attributed to David. 73 to be exact. David had a way with words. I'm not a man of words. I wish I could articulate myself much better. There are certain men that have that ability to express their feelings, to get concepts across. David was one of these men. As you read the Psalms, you just, um, uh, they're, they're not really long, most of them, but when you get done, you say, man, right on. That's exactly how I would have put it, but I didn't have the words. I mean, he really knew how to bring those things forward. There's 12 of the Psalms that are attributed to Asaph, 12 to the sons of Korah, 2 to Solomon, 1 to Etham, 1 to Moses. And it depends what translation you have. There are others that will attribute some to Hezekiah, to Ezra, even Jeremiah. It depends um, how far you want to push it. Of the 150 psalms, only 34 are without a title. 50 of those psalms that we don't know who they are, they're anonymous, and some of them are called orphan psalms. Now, some believe that the inscription, when you get to the psalm and you read the top where, the, the top where it says to the chief musician with flute, a psalm of David. Let's take an example, Psalm 5. Some believe that the inscription there are partly subscription and others 
superscriptions. And the difference being that the superscription is the heading, while the subscription comes at the end of the psalm. And so J. Sidlow Baxter, an excellent scholar, I really enjoy some of the things he has and he points out. He points out, like say Psalm 5, to the chief musician with flute is really a subscription of Psalm 4, while a Psalm of David refers to a superscription to Psalm 5. Because originally when the Psalms were together in scrolls, there was no room and they just continued. And this was in between. Remember the breakup and the different things often are placed way afterwards, and the verses especially. And so to what extent this is valid or not, you know, we'll let the scholars deal with that, but it's something to think about as we read those titles. And then you get into the psalm and you say, well, this psalm really doesn't have much to do with that subscription. Well, maybe there's some truth to it that maybe it's a, a superscription or the reverse. But it's just a note that I share with you so that you have some understanding about those um, inscriptions on it. Now, there are various categories of psalms. First, you have psalms of wisdom or psalms of moral conduct, such as Psalm 1, where you see the righteous man contrasted with the ungodly man. And you see this uh, much throughout the psalms where we declare our wisdom by our lives by obeying God's counsel, His direction, in contrast to the ungodly, to the wicked, who really goes his own way. There seems to be a way that's right with the man, and the way is a way of destruction, the psalm says. And Psalm 1 is a perfect example of these uh, wisdom psalms and psalms of moral conduct. There are also royal or messianic psalms, which deal with the promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Psalm 2 is a perfect example of that. He says, Why do the nations rage and the people not or plot a vain thing? The king of the earth sets themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for an inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O king. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. It's a messianic psalm, but in its primary application, it's dealing with the King David. But its secondary application, it's dealing with the Messiah to come. So often the psalms that are messianic will have a twofold fulfillment. The personal present application, historical background, plus a futuristic fulfillment of the Messiah. We have prophecies like that in Isaiah. We have prophecies like that in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, short-term, long-term wise. And so you have Psalm 22 where Jesus Christ cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
with another one. And there are many others. Pastor Xavier Reese has been providing valuable insight into the construction and style of the Psalms in this first study of a verse-by-verse series of these beloved simple truths. And you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request your own CD copy of this study. Today's message is simply titled Introduction to the Psalms and is available for only $4. And you'll be receiving the entire full-length message as it was originally presented. The title to ask for once again is Introduction to the Psalms. Or you can always just mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths from the Book of Psalms right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 